Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. How y'all doing? Do you enjoy that one day 60 degrees we had? I did. I had a good time in that. Praise the Lord. All you people of the Lord. Sing for joy in the house of the Lord. Shout joyfully unto the Lord. Declare his praises one to another. I I have um, been pouring through. I feel like the Lord has, has been leading me the last few weeks on a journey to go back and Uncover some old treasures. Old treasures. You know, Jesus says a wise man man takes treasures from old and new. And I've found some really incredible things on a topic which is very dear to our heart. In fact, it's what prompted us to begin this ministry in 1988. And that's the topic of worship. And I realized that since that time, and it's been so many years since I've done a series on worship, but I realize that since that time, we've had various people come in uh, from around the area in different churches. And uh, we've, we've seen some things over the year where some people walk through the door and they see us in the beginning of worship, and they just turn right around and walk back out. And it's because we understand that our, our methods don't look, they don't look appealing to a lot of people. I feel like worship is such a powerful, it's such a powerful source that God has given us as believers. We have this heart in us that was created to worship. One one year, is it all right with you guys if I go a little bit back in time? I'm going to show you how old I am. And uh, I, I just feel like we, we have so many stories after, you know, all the time that we've been here. We've had so many stories that reflect why we are who we are and why we worship how we worship. Corporately, I'm talking about why we, in, why we encourage music, why we encourage singing, why we encourage shouting. You heard Serena say, shout it out today, you know. Shout it out and lift up one voice. Why do we encourage this? Why is there this time that we have together? What, what are we doing here? And why are we doing it? So I remember one time that I, I really felt the Lord, it was on a, a Sunday morning service, probably around 1990. 1990, 1991. At this time, the sanctuary was a little bit different. It was very much smaller. Things were arranged differently. And I can remember that we uh, led, I led in worship, and then I just felt like the Lord just wanted us to just turn the, the sanctuary into a house of prayer. So we had a prayer service. And I can remember when, as soon as we did that, there were uh, two people in particular. I don't know them. They were visitors. They just bolted out the door as fast as they could go. And I was like, Lord, doesn't everybody have this in them? Doesn't everyone have a desire to connect with you, a desire to touch you, a desire to experience your presence? Because I believed with all my heart that when he created, when he created man, he created man to worship. There's a void in humanity if that worship is not expressed. And I just really fully believe that. I I pictures this, if you will, okay? God hovers over the face of the deep. His spirit hovers over the face of the deep, and he says, let there be light, and there's light. I don't have a feeling that it was just like a bright light. I have a feeling that there was sound involved, that there was music that was going on, that there was, uh, the light was actually worshiping its creator. When he, when he, spoke to the 
fields and when he spoke to the trees of the fields and when he created beasts, all of them. You, you have to understand this. He's, he's in a, an eternal abode where angels are worshiping him all the time, surrounding the throne. There's, in particular, there's seraphim that circle his throne, and, and their, their entire being cries, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I heard Sam Hinn teach on that passage one time, and Sam, he actually said, Which, with, with each holy, there's a new revelation of the holiness of God. The, the unlimited potential of expression of heaven. The creator formed everything with all of that in him. And as he formed it, he created things from that origin of heavenly worship. Now imagine when he made Adam, right? Forms him out of the dust dust of the ground, which in that particular place of Eden was gold. The ground was like gold. There was so much gold in that ground. Adam is laying there on the ground. He's, he's got no motion. He's got no being. He's like a, a rock. And God breathes life. He breathes spirit into Adam's nostrils. Imagine Adam laying there on the ground. I wish I could lay down, but you wouldn't be able to see me. This could be a good illustrative message. Imagine Adam laying down and just looking up. Could you imagine him saying, you got a light? Ah, who are you? Where am I? Could you imagine him doing any of that? I can't, I can't even begin to put a natural reaction to what he was seeing right in front of him. All I can say is that this perfect creator has just created someone in his own image from that atmosphere of heavenly worship. And Adam lays there without being told, I just, I'm sorry, but I just don't see God saying, now worship me. Okay, I'm commanding you now, bow down, because I'm worthy. I'm more worthy than you are. I don't see God doing that with Adam. I see Adam being created by a perfect God, and I see him waking up to all of God's glory right in front of him. And his first reaction and his first expression is worship. No one told him what to do. They didn't have to, he didn't have to get the Bible out and start reading Psalms to understand what to do. His reaction was to just immediately worship God, his creator. I'm getting tanked just talking about this. I remember reading one time uh, when the Wesleys in the revival of the Methodists, and Susanna Wesley, every time that they would talk about heaven, she would go out in the spirit. One time they were talking with a special speaker. They had him over to their house for dinner, and, and they're talking about heaven, and they're talking about angels, and they're talking about the glory of God. And Susanna Wesley, who was just a woman of prayer and great intercessor for the region, Susanna Wesley was hearing the conversation about heaven. and Suddenly, she just plopped down right on the table and her face went right in the soup. They had to pull her out of the soup, take her in on a couch, and she was out in a trance for seven days. Worship is a topic close to the heart of God. I don't believe that there, there can be any substitutes for worshiping God. I don't believe anything even comes close in our experience of living. Nothing even comes close in a comparative level with worship. It is the most valuable expression that we can make to our Creator. It is an absolute 
overwhelming, caught up in the majesty of God. Worship is a dedication of time, a turning aside from daily routine, a concentration on God in our thoughts and energy, a declaration that we are his people created and designed to give him glory. This is what happens when we come together in corporate worship. We are a people designed for this, you know. We're designed to gather together. We're designed to be in union together. We're designed and created to worship together. I'm talking when we gather on a Sunday morning, it's a specific time for us to engage our time, our efforts, our desires, our expressions to him. It's a beautiful privilege. It it opens up something in us. It directs us in a flow towards heaven. And it allows heaven to come. The psalm says that the Lord sits enthroned upon the praises of his people. It's not just a time-wasting exercise that we do here. It's not just something that we gather together and, and, and I wonder what the new song is going to be. It's not just about singing the songs. It's not just about the words of the song. It's not just about uh, how Sally dances more than Joe. It, it, it's, it's got nothing to do with who's more holy than the other. It has everything to do. And I'm telling you, only God can do this, people. Only he can do this. Only he can bring a bunch of imperfect people together and make a holy song out of it. That's what worship does. Worship is absolutely an expression of who we are to him who made us. I've feel very passionate, very strongly about this. I've had this in my, my entire life. I've had, I've had worship in my entire life. Growing up in Bethel as a kid, it was more than just running around chasing after lizards, more than just visiting with friends. It included those things, honestly, as a child through a child's eyes. But I can remember Sunday nights and the song service on Sunday night. It was geared towards revival. And I can remember the excitement in the atmosphere. I can remember people standing up, singing, clapping. I can remember bobby pins flying off of women's beehives because they were so under the influence of the Spirit. The excitement and the joy of God's house expressing worship to the Lord stuck with me, resonated with me, even as a child. When I grew up into a teenager and was in youth group age, I, would, I learned how to play the guitar at, and when I was in seventh grade. I had a teacher that gave me three lessons, and from there on, I was on my own. And I just began to learn worship songs. I began to learn the songs that were being sung. They were Maranatha songs. They were charismatic songs. They were a lot of songs that were just being sung. And I remember learning those songs, and I remember... Uh, being asked by the youth pastor to lead worship in the youth group, and I would lead worship in the youth group, and and it was a a rough <laughs> a rough time musically because I was still challenged in some of those songs, and yet for me it was an expression that I was giving to God, and He knew my heart, He knew where I was, He knew that I was not just going through emotion, but that as I sang, my whole heart was was going towards Him. Young, the young adult group, home group, heard, heard what I was doing in youth group. They invited me to lead worship with them. So I'm in this group of people in their 20s and 30s, and I'm sitting with my guitar, a little eighth grade boy, leading in worship. And what we would do is they'd have me play, play some chords, and then they would start singing psalms. And songs came out of that time. This is just just been a part of who I am my entire life. When I rededicated my life in 1978, music became a great part. 
again, I, I began to worship. I went out and bought a Rhodes piano. It was over at Fort Devens. I bought a Rhodes piano from Fitchburg Music. Many of you know where that is. Oh, old electric Rhodes piano. I brought it into my barracks. And I would sit early morning for my quiet time. Four o'clock in the morning, I'd get up before everybody else, and I'd sit on that Rhodes piano, and I'd just start worshiping the Lord. And I'd just start playing. I didn't realize that the sound was going out into the hallways, (laughs) into other people's rooms. I was a sergeant, so I had my own room to myself, which was kind of nice. But when I realized, people would say to me, what song was that that you were playing this morning? I went, oh, people can hear me. Oh, my gosh. You know, I just thought I was all alone in that room with God, just expressing to him my heart. So when I realized I could be heard, I went and got headphones. So then I'll, all I can imagine is what they heard is me singing and no music. <laughs> but I didn't care. I, I, I did not care. I, what men think about this does not concern me. God is the origin of worship. His words lead us in the way of worship. Worship is a spiritual act. It is a deep calling to deep. Worship keeps us close to God. Have you ever, I I hope this is not an unspiritual statement, but have you ever felt a little bit distant from God? Yeah. I'm not alone. Just feel a little bit like, where are you, God? Um, things, things are a little flat right now, right? A little, uh, I feel a little off. Something feels a little off. I don't know. Something's off. Something's just off. Worship is the reconnector. Listen, I'm telling you that, that the truth is, it is the closest thing that will centralize us with God that we have on this earth. It is worship. I have felt distance like that. Sometimes I've struggled with sleep at night. I wake up in the morning. I go out and get my coffee. I look out there, and I just begin to worship the Lord, and immediately his presence comes. It's just a connector point. God has a prescribed way of worship for us. There is a prescribed worship. And I am going to get to a lot of verses, by the way. I'm just doing, this is a prelude to this series. But when we started the church here, when we began it, it was kind of a desert around New England. Not to be negative or anything like that, but it was kind of, Worship wasn't very popular in 1988 in New England. 1978 was not popular at all. 1988, a little, you know, it was like, if the preacher got wild in a sermon, it was okay. But if people got crazy in worship, it was not okay. We... We started this ministry because we wanted the theme, the major theme of this ministry to be worshipped, to be encompassed by people who pull themselves into a place together and just take the time, their efforts, and their focus and put it on the Lord. Adam wakes up, and there he is, all his glory. No sin had yet come to the earth. Sin was not in Adam. His body was full of life. Every cell, every molecule was living. There was no death in him, no dead skin when he woke up the next morning. None of his 
biological functions were dying, which I guess they, they know today that there's a lot of our cells that just automatically die and there's other cells that fight infections. None of that was going on in Adam. He was a perfect being made in the image of God. He opens his eyes. And there he is. And he begins to worship. Whoa, the glory of that moment. You know, guess what, you guys? God did not create Adam because he was lonely. He didn't create Adam because he needed someone to worship him. He didn't create Adam just for fellowship. He created Adam to participate with him in his creation. Do you imagine when he told Adam, begin to name the animals? Come into this with me, Adam. Like he began to develop a team in Adam around his creation. When Adam fell, everything changed. It all just completely changed. Perception of humanity changed about God. I just picture that serpent standing at the tree, lying to Eve. I, you know, the first, the first critic of God was the devil. He criticized God in his temptation to Eve. Did God really say? Planning the question in Eve's mind. I don't know if I can trust God. She ate of that fruit, and what came out of that was has hit all of us. And if it hadn't have been her, it would have been Adam. It's not like she was the weaker vessel, and of course, give me a break. They were created equal. And the first act of worship that we see is where after they sinned, they went and they sowed fig leaves together. God called, where are you? They sowed fig leaves together to cover up their shame. They both knew that they were naked for the first time. They sowed it together to cover up their shame. God says, where are you? Adam, where are you? Have you ever wanted to hide from God? It doesn't work. He knows where you are. But he asks these questions because he wants us to be honest with ourselves in trying to hide. And he finds them, and he kills one of his own creation, a lamb. And he sacrifices a lamb, and he clothes them with the skin. It's the first indication of redemptive worship that's seen in the scripture. And he sets a pattern for Adam and Eve to follow. Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a gardener. Cain brings his first fruits from the ground to the Lord as a sacrifice. Abel brings his first fruit of a lamb as a sacrifice. And as scripture says that God was pleased with Abel's offering but despised Cain's. It's a very interesting passage of Scripture. And it reveals man's attempt to fill a void within himself outside of God's direction. Cain, this makes sense to me, it's my fruit, it's my vegetables. This is my harvest. It's my first, first fruit of the land. I'm going to give it to God because it cost me something. Abel, this is my first fruit of my lamb. I'm going to give it to God because he showed me this is how to do it. Do you see the difference? 
There is a prescribed way that God has concerning worship because he is worship. He is surrounded by worship all the time. He is the creator of worship, the originator of worship. Worship is within him. It's built right to, it's built right to him. It's when you get close to God, you just want to worship him more. The more you worship him, the closer he comes, and the more you want to just keep worshiping. Because God created us to worship, and what we spend time with, what we give our time to, is what we will become like. Hosea chapter 5, verse 10 says, The priest of Judah, and the priests were those who lead, led God's people in worship. The priests of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. Priest of Judah in the day of Hosea the prophet had become like those who removed a landmark. What they were doing was ripping God off. They were robbing God. They were trying to allow people to worship how they felt best. They had fallen into idolatry. They were worshiping idols of pagan nations. And the priests were allowing it to take place. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And they pretty much dropped pretty much dropped off the instruction of worshiping the Lord because they felt their offering was good enough. What they were bringing to God was good enough. I don't that's that's a really sad thing. There is, there is someone who hates our transformation through worship. He's the same guy that stood back there by the tree. Get us to mistrust God, get us to question God's ways, get us to question who he is, interpret Throw an interpretation in that he's a mean bully, that he doesn't like really, he doesn't love anybody. He gets angry if you do the wrong thing. He's going to tread all over you, going to disown you, no longer call you his child. All these things that are going on out there right now in culture and worship. Let, let, me, let me help you with something, okay? When we come together here to worship the Lord, our words are eternal. They go into the airwaves as sounds, and they stay there. We might just be gathered together in this room, enjoying a good time with the Lord, having a wonderful, creating a wonderful atmosphere of his presence. We might be here doing this, but what's taking place out there, if you're, if you're open to hear this, I believe that worship is one of the greatest forms of evangelism. Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me if I be lifted up. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. There are people sitting out there, just maybe just waking up, grabbing a cup of coffee. Maybe they're hungover. Maybe they had a good time. Maybe they're not even the furthest thought that they have from their minds might be God. And we're in here worshiping the Lord. And he sits enthroned on the praises of his people. And our heirs go into the airwaves. They go into people's homes. They go into families. They go into schools. They go into leadership areas. They go into government areas. They go into the nations. The Lord will be praised and adored and worshipped by a people whose hearts are connected and who intentfully give themselves. We, You know, it's like, our worship goes for 45 minutes, maybe sometimes an hour. If that if that's, doesn't seem right to some people, then it doesn't seem right to some people. But it sure seems right to me. And it sure seems right to a lot of the people in this house. And it's some of the most valuable time we can give. You'll get more out of this time than you'll ever get from Netflix. You just will. I'm not putting down Netflix. I, you know, I watch Netflix. I don't have a problem watching movies. But this, what was the song that we sang today? There's nothing better than you right here, right now. 
That's the heart of a worshiper crying out. That's the heart of someone who's able to push aside all the distractions, push aside their daily routines, get themselves into a place where they've separated themselves from all their activities during the week, and they come and they just dedicate their time together here. Purpose, intent, something that grabs the heart of God. You might be off key when you sing. You might not feel like you like to sing. You, you might have a horrible voice for singing. Can't hear or carry a note for anything. Worship involves singing but is not singing. It involves it, but you can worship without it. <laughs> All right, some of you are looking at me like, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is that it's your heart. It's not your form. It's not your, it's not your activities. It's your heart. It's you drawing yourself unto him. It's you taking the time out from your regularly schedule to just worship and adore your creator to who you were made to be. Your heart is the connecting point. If you're distracted by other things, push the distractions aside. Let your heart connect. Is best feeling. Worship is transformational. Psalms 115, 1-8. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but your name give glory because your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. And those who serve them become like them. Now, you understand we serve a God who's alive. He's living. He is alive. He is alive. As a kid growing up, Easter cantatas used to be a big hit in Bethel Church. And the theme was, he is alive. And they'd always incorporate a song that would mention, he is alive. And whenever they'd sing that song, the congregation would just erupt in praise. You can't hold back the people of God from worshiping and praising him. They're going to do it. They're going to find an outlet. They're going to push through the distractions. They're going to push through the style And they're going to connect. (laughs) Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Beloved friends, what should be your proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. Live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. That is the Passion Translation. The New Living Translation says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. You have to catch the apostle's voice. He's pleading with believers. Pleading with believers. To give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. New American Standard. Therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. He's pleading with them. He's, he's, I know he understands because when he 
was persecuting Christians, when he was going about locking them up, he got arrested by God on the road. And the light and glory of God knocked him to the ground. And you can better believe in that encounter. Who knows how many seconds or how many minutes that encounter lasts. You can better believe all of a sudden all of worship fills his being. He's encountering worship. He's encountering a God saying, why are you doing this to me? This is not the way I have prescribed worship unto me. But here you go, Paul. Here's my flavor of worship. And immediately, Paul is changed. He's transformed. The glory of the Lord just overcomes him, and he is completely transformed. Changed. Never the same. Now he's one of the most profound authors of Scripture that we have. He's just absolutely his... His mind is like a theological workbook of grace and who Jesus Christ is and who Jesus Christ came to redeem. And his heart is full of worship. I plead with you. And why is he pleading with them? He's pleading with them because he knows outside of an encounter like he has had with God, People could just hear his words and miss the heart. They could be sitting within earshot. This has always amazed me, even about Jesus, who is the word of God, by the way. He was with God in the beginning. He is God. He is the word of God. And he's teaching in their streets and in their synagogues. And as he's teaching, he knows and he's aware that there are some who are not even hearing him to the fullness of the words. And he always makes this statement. I believe he makes it whenever he becomes aware that there are some people listening that aren't really listening. He says, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. I believe that's what Paul is saying. I plead with you guys, please, Take your ears and listen. Worship is your connecting point. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. Offer yourself up to him. Give him all of your being. Give him who you are. Take the time. Spend the time with him. Magnify his name. Glorify who he is. Psalms 100 says, shout to the Lord joyfully, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy, acknowledging that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. (laughs) All the time, good. He is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. This psalm is a glimpse into the heart of worship. It's a glimpse into the heart of David who loved to worship. He was the apple of God's eyes. Are you kidding me? You go through the psalms, and you read the psalms, and you you hear shouting praises unto God. You hear singing praises unto God. You hear uh, being joyful in the presence of God. You hear David's heart, and David is writing these things, and that he's writing these things. He knows people are going to be reading them centuries down the road and they're going to have ears to hear and their ears are going to be open and they're going to say, oh my gosh, this is the greatest gift that we can ever have on this earth. To enter into his courts with praise. So we started the church. We began to lead worship songs that were New, out of integrity music. And our services were of guitar. My wife played the tambourine and sang. I led and sang. And then we began to develop teams. And we developed worship teams and began to lead from those teams. My, my, my spiritual advisors warned me against trying to have New Englanders actually praise God. 
This is a true story. Pull me aside. Don't, don't expect New England to actually praise. You can't build a church on praise. The exact quote that he told me. And this had been a part of my whole life. And I'm hearing somebody trying to shut it down. And I'm just saying, I think I understand what you're trying to tell me, but that is not going to work here. I have already tasted of him. I have already seen him. I know he breathed life into me. I was once dead, but now I am alive. And as long as these lungs can suck in air and let air out, it is going to be a praise unto the Lord. And I will get lost in his worship and I will dedicate myself to him in worship and I don't care if people think I'm weird. I don't care if anyone thinks I'm a a crazy, unwise leader. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. He deserves all this. He is worthy of my praise. One of the things that I learned in reading the Gospels from Jesus is that he was not afraid of man's opinion of him. Not only was he not afraid of man's opinion of him, he sought the opinion of God over the opinions of men. Usually when this type of teaching comes there are, there are some people that hear it and they, it, it, they think it gives them permission to do all sorts of bizarre things in church. I'm, I'm, not, I'm hoping I'm not saying that. David, David did bizarre things, okay? I mean, he really did. He, he, he led worship in bizarre ways. Anyone who strips down his underwear and starts dancing in the streets with all of Israel watching, that's a bizarre thing to do. But to give him credit, his heart was so engaged in God that he completely lost himself in that atmosphere of heaven. And as a leader of God's people, he said, I only care for one. He has captured my heart. In the 1980s, I heard Bill Johnson once say that worship is the most important theme in Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire book is devoted to worship. You can't pick and choose. You can't take subjects. You can't, like, inject, well, no, evangelism, you know, redemption. That's the most important part. No, because as I just said earlier, worship came before the need for redemption. Worship, the grand theme of Scripture. Psalms 22, 3 to 5 says, But you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Psalms 9, 11, Sing praises to God who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell his deeds among the people. God offers something that we get to build here, people. We get to build, all right? To me, it doesn't matter how many people try to diversify worship. There is one theme in worship, and that is a dedicated life unto the Lord. It is our spiritual act of worship. Distractions, kick them out the door. The circus in your mind that's doing the gravy train, throw it off, cast yourself at the throne of Jesus. Church, community, corporate worship. So far, this is what I've been dealing with, is corporate worship. Not individual worship, but corporate worship. When we gather together, what do we look like as a people? What do we sound like? How are we portrayed? How do people portray us? How do they see us? Like I said, some people are going to come through those doors. They're going to see what what we're about, and they're going to turn right around and come back or not come back. Other people are going to come through that door and say, oh, man, I felt something here. There's something here. 
There's something I've got to have that's here. And what is it? It's the people. It's, it's you locking yourself into worship. You carrying Jesus Christ, the hope of glory in you, gathering together with others and that unity coming together and the heavens showing up in, in the atmosphere. This is what awakens people's hearts. It's what awakens them. It wakes them up. Some people want to stay sleeping. We can't help that, but we are here to help the ones who say, there's something here I've got to have. I've been looking for this my whole life. That's why we're here. I, I think it was probably 10 or 15 years ago, someone was driving by on 111. They, they used to commute back and forth to work. And they said every time they got to, um, before the entrance, every time they got just before the, the entrance to Lomar Park, and when they got past the other entrance to Lomar Park, they said, I felt something here all the time. Every, every time I felt something when I was in my car going across 111. So one day I decided, I'm going to turn in and see what this is about. And they turned in and they saw our building right here. And the next week they came and visited. And he told us this report. And said it was that feeling that I had that drew me here. I didn't even know what it was. He wasn't saved. Didn't know the Lord. He felt the presence of God. We've permeated these grounds since 1990 with worship services where people are declaring. I I would have to say that the walls have songs wanting to get out. Let me out. This is good news. The atmosphere and reason has changed. Jesus spent his time in public gatherings. He was at synagogues praying, preaching at traditional gatherings like the various feasts and instructed as instructed in scriptures. Listen, I know that there are some people who think church is a waste of time. There are some people that think church is just so boring. Don't even bother. They, they, got, they got to change. The church has got to change. It's never going to be any effective if they don't change. I want to tell you, when it comes to worship, we cannot afford to change the act of worship unto the Lord. And everything else besides that, all the things that people can find false about church, they can say the church is a waste of time, there are deconstructionists trying to deconstruct Christianity and deconstruct all this stuff. You know what? People, don't waste your time and energies on that. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes in agreement with the people of God who come together and worship and have been for centuries. This is not just a new fad. This is something that God has prescribed for his people, that they would declare the praises of God in the midst of the sanctuary. Stay focused on that. Stay focused on that. What Jonathan's message last week, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Get focused on Jesus, because as soon as you get your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to see, guess what you're going to see? Imperfect vessels. <laughs> oh, yeah, and imperfect vessels, they really don't do much for you. Now, you can look at all my imperfections. It's not going to do much for you, and it's not going to, change, it's not going to make me perfect. You can look at them. They're there to see We can look at each other's imperfections. Those won't change a single person. But Jesus will. We stand together. I can imagine Jesus in the synagogues teaching. I could just picture him. It's on the Sabbath. It's on the Sabbath, and he's teaching, and as he teaches, he looks over at a man who had a crippled hand and said, stretch out your hand. 
and immediately the man's hand was healed. The Son of God, the Creator, the miracle worker. And the critics, they went nuts. Who is this that heals on the Sabbath? I've always wondered what kind of thinking possesses an individual to cut off something so glorious of God. But that's a distraction, isn't it? Just keep looking at Jesus. Father, I want to thank you for this group of people who have committed to you, dedicated their lives to you, and have said, you are my rock. You are my stronghold. You are my salvation. And unto you, I give the glory and the praise. Thank you for this house, Lord. There's there's so much good in this place. There's so much glory in this house. Because where your people are, your presence is. And your presence always fills us with more of you. Bless this house, Lord. I thank you for the people that are here. We also just extend, we extend an invitation to those who don't know you. And we just say, Lord, fill them with your glory. Let them see who you are. They're all around in the outside of our communities and in our states and in the New England regions. Fill this land with your glory. Breathe your breath of spirit over their beings so that they see you and open their eyes and immediately tap into the worship of your glory. Yes, Lord Jesus. In your name, we pray and glory to Jesus. Thank you for being Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.